privilege to be here this morning with you. Thank God for Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church and the partnership and the gospel that we have had uh, from the first day that I've been here. Uh, thank you uh, so much for your ministry in this area. We at Christ Baptist Church love you. We pray for you. Uh, we thank God for your pastor. I know you're blessed by Justin. You have a, you have a fantastic pastor, and I, I know you know that. I hope you will uh, hear it from me. Uh, I love Justin so much, and he's been such an encouragement and help to me that it is a great privilege for me to be here this morning to preach God's Word. I want to be in Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, again, thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for our Savior who is in every way sufficient for us. We pray this morning that you would help us to love and treasure and worship Jesus and to bring glory and honor to your name with our hearts, with our lives, and with our lips. God forbid this morning that, we're, that we would be merely hearers of your word, but Lord, help us to be doers of your word as well. Lord, apply your word to our lives, convict us of our sin, and help us to walk in the path that your word lays for us. And so, Lord, would you come with your word and be a, a, let it be a lamp to our feet, let it be a light to our path, that we might say with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law, it's my meditation all the day, that we would meditate on the truth of your word, and that we would love its truth and apply it to our lives and in our families, and that you would change us. Lord, I need your help now. I ask for your help. And Pray for that enablement that only you can bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, I want to read for us, beginning in verse 15. We're going to focus most of our attention this morning on verse 23. So let's start. Ephesians 1, verse 15. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Apostle Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe." according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Notice with me that in verse 23, the church is called both the body of Christ and the fullness of Christ. So there are two descriptions of the church here in verse 23. Just notice it again. Start at verse 22. And He, that's God the Father, 
has put all things under His feet, that's speaking of the Son, Jesus, and gave Him as head over all things to the church. And then verse 23 describes the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So there is one simple truth that I want us to rejoice in this morning from this description in verse 23 of the church. Simply put, verse 23 declares the church is important to God. The church is important to God. Or to say it another way, God loves the church. She is dear to His heart. And she is central to His eternal plan. This one simple biblical truth has forever altered my life and commitments. Everything has changed because of this simple biblical truth. You see, part of what it means to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, which Jesus said is the greatest commandment, part of what that means is to love what He loves. You see, if something is important to God, if God tells us that something is important to Him, that He loves something, then it should be also very important to those who say they love Him. And from the Bible, you'd be hard-pressed to find something that the Father, Son, and Spirit love more outside of themselves than the church. The Father has chosen His church from before the world began. The Son has shed His precious blood to redeem His bride, His church. And the Spirit seals the church so that she might persevere to the end. And so let this this simple truth just sink deeply into your heart this morning. This is the most important reason why you should love the church. God loves the church. You say, why should you and I love the church? Why should it be important to our lives? Why should it be significant to you and me and to our families? Because it's important to God. Because God loves the church. Listen to how John Stott put it. He said, quote, If the church is central to God's purposes as seen in both history and in the Gospel, it must surely also be central to our lives. How can we take lightly what God takes so seriously? How dare we push to the circumference what God has placed at the center? That's a powerful quote because all of our tendencies and temptations is to, is to take what's central and to push it toward the circumference of our lives. And so what I'm here to do this morning is to say, friends, never ever push to the circumference what God has placed at the center. The church is central to God's heart and it should also be central to ours as well. Now, I'm fully aware that when the Scripture describes the importance of the church to God's heart and to God's plan, it is referring primarily to the universal or invisible church. The universal church is basically a term that theologians have come up with to describe all believers from all times. 
The universal church is basically a reference to all of those who have put their faith in Christ no matter where they lived or when they lived. But until the universal church can gather in heaven around the throne of God, individual local churches have been established to carry out the mission of the church in this world. God has created local churches like this one to assemble together in order to be a representation of the universal church in a particular location. Individual local churches are like outposts of God's kingdom in every location that they are found. And so God-honoring local churches are not man's idea. They are God's design to accomplish His purposes, His purpose for His universal church in the world. The way the universal church manifests itself today is through real, visible, physical, local churches. And so when we see the importance of the church to God, we should think in terms of actual local churches. In so much as our local church is faithful to God's design and plan for the church, we are important to God. If our individual local church is faithful to God's design for the church, then we can say with confidence that God loves our church. That God loves this local church. This church is dear to God's heart and significant to His purposes in the world. And if that's true, friends, if that is true, it has massive ramifications for our lives and for how we relate to the church. And so here's my goal this morning. I want to remind you of why this church exists. I want to remind you of why you're here. I want to refocus your sights on the significance of who you are in the plan and purpose and heart of the triune God. I want us to take a step back and see the big picture this morning. And so think of all the aspects of your church like pieces to a massive puzzle. So just picture a, a puzzle, all its pieces just laid out on a, a table. And what we're often guilty of is just focusing on individual pieces by themselves. Right? It's quite frustrating if you just focus on the individual pieces without considering how the pieces fit into the grand scheme of things. And so when you're putting together a puzzle, the best thing to do when you don't know when a, where a particular piece goes is to look at the picture on the box, right? That's what I do when I don't know where the piece goes. I keep the box right there in front of me because the picture on the box shows you what the puzzle should look like. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to hold up the box for, you, for us all to see the big picture and the grand design. And my prayer is that as we do that, as we see that right here in Ephesians 1, that the individual pieces of all that you do as a, as a local church, they'll make more sense and they'll have more weight and they'll be more significant to our everyday lives as we see how they contribute to the big picture that God is doing through the church. And so from Ephesians 1.23, 
How do we see the importance of the church to God? How do we see the big picture here? Well, what I want us to do is simply to observe these two descriptions of the church given to us in this verse. They relate to one another, but they're clearly separated here. The church is Christ's body, and the church is Christ's fullness. The church is Christ's body, and the church is Christ's fullness. Now, before we look at these individually, just notice the context with me. Beginning in verse 15, Paul thanks God for his readers, for the Ephesians, and he actually tells them what he prays for them. In the original, verses 15 through 23 are one long sentence. All of this is together. In verses 15 and 16, Paul tells the Ephesians why he thanks God for them. He thanks God for them because he's heard about their faith and he's heard about their love. And then in verse 17, he prays that God would give them the ability to know God. In verse 18, he prays that they will know the hope to which they've been called and the riches of the inheritance that they've been given. And in verse 19, he prays that they will know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward believers. And then in verses 20 through 23, Paul breaks forth into doxology. And he praises God for the greatness of God's power that he has given to his people. And so he tells them these individual things he's praying for them. And then he just he stops the, the telling them of what he's praying for them. And he just breaks forth into praise, beginning in verse 20. And he praises God for the majesty and power with which God has displayed himself. And notice in verses 20 through 23 that he, he describes four things that the Father has done for the Son that he praises God for. First, the Father has raised Jesus from the dead, verse 20. Second, the Father has seated Jesus at his right hand, which is a very significant description. The right hand of the Father is the place of preeminence, it's the place of authority, it's the place of power, and it is described here, notice, as far above. All rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Third, the Father has put all things under Jesus' feet, verse 22, that everything has been subjected to the power of King Jesus. And then finally in verse 22, the final description of the power of God that Paul rejoices in is that the Father has given Jesus to the church as her head. You see that in verse 22? The Father has raised Jesus from the dead, has seated Jesus at His right hand, has put everything under His feet, and He has given His Son to the church as her head. And so that leads into verse 23 that then describes this church that the Son has been given to. And so let's look at each of these two descriptions or metaphors for the church in verse 23. First, the church is Christ's body. The church is Christ's body. The Father's love for His church is revealed in the fact that He gave the church the most precious gift imaginable. The Father gave the super-exalted and breathtakingly beautiful Son to the church as her head. So you say, Justin, where do you see in this text that the church is important to God? Where do you see that God loves the church? Well, it's right here. That the Father has given to the church the most precious gift imaginable. What a gift of love this is. 
What a gift of, of amazing grace this is to the church that we have the very Son of God as our head. The Father did not give an angel to us as our head. The Father did not give some important historical leader as our head. He gave us the one with the name above all other names to be our head. Verses 20 and 22 describe Jesus as the most majestic, authoritative, valuable one in the entire universe. Because of His substitutionary death, because of His powerful resurrection, He is preeminent over all. Verse 21 says that He is seated far above. Not just above, but far above all rule and authority and power and every name that is named. You see, Jesus is the one who said in the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Nothing is outside the control of the sovereign hand of King Jesus. Abraham Kuyper once wrote, There is not one square inch in all of creation over which Christ does not cry, Mine! Christ is supreme over all galaxies, planets, stars, and comets in the universe. Christ is supreme from the highest point of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up to the lowest point in the deepest trench of the Pacific Ocean, 39,000 feet down. Christ is supreme over all mammals, over all birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. Christ is supreme over all microscopic bacteria and over all diseases. Christ is supreme over all earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, and tornadoes. Christ is supreme over all governments, elections, policies, and laws. Christ is supreme over all terrorists, armies, weapons, and wars. Christ is supreme over all stock markets and job markets and housing markets and supermarkets. Christ is supreme over all education, businesses, hospitals, airlines, churches, and even the Olympics. Christ is supreme over all angels, demons, and the entire spiritual realm. You have never been anywhere, and you will never go anywhere over which Christ is not supreme. Jesus has comprehensive authority over everything that exists, including everything you are facing today. And this is the one. This is the majestic, breathtakingly beautiful King that has been given to the church as her head. Paul is writing this doxology to wow us with the reality that our head is the majestic, and glorious Son of God. It should be an amazing thing to us to be part of the body of the One who is preeminent over all. And so what does it mean to say that Christ is head of the church, that we are His body? What does it mean to say that the church is the body of Christ? Let me draw out just two implications for what Christ's headship means for the church. First, this means that Christ is supreme in authority over the church. 
Christ is the supreme authority over our individual local churches. The church belongs to Christ. It is His church, and He is the one in charge of it. The head is the one who calls the shots and makes the decisions and sets the direction. Pastors or elders, deacons or committees are not the head of the church. The Pope is not the head of the church. Denominations are not the head of the church. Christ is our head. So friends, a church is not a group of people who sit around and decide what they think a church should be or do. There are groups out there that start churches and that's, that's how they start. They start with a, a, I guess they call it a think tank or something, and they sit around and they say, well, what do you think this church should be like? That's not what a church is. No, a church is a group of Christians who gather to submit to Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to listen to Jesus. And it is through the Scriptures that Christ actually rules over the church, governing us, guiding us, directing us, and instructing us. Which is why it is essential, friends, for a church to be saturated with the Scriptures. When we neglect the Bible, we neglect the authority of our head. When the Bible lies closed, we silence our authority. Jesus purchased the church with His own precious blood. He laid down His life for His bride. He owns the church. It is His. He is the supreme authority over her. That's the first thing that we must say about what it means to be the body of Christ. The second is this. The church is totally dependent on Christ. Christ, our head, is our authority, but it also means that we, as His body, are totally dependent on Him. The headship of Christ implies that we need Him. As He said in John chapter 15, apart from Me, you can do nothing. You see, a church without Christ is like a body without a head. It is dead. It is useless. It is meaningless. We will never accomplish anything of significance as a church without the nourishment provided to us by our head, Jesus Christ, because it's from Him that we derive our life and power and meaning and purpose and everything else that we need to function properly. So, Friends, we must always ensure that Christ is the center of our churches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We are totally dependent on Him for everything that we need to be sustained and fruitful. So it's popular today for people to say things like, I love Jesus, I just can't stand the church. Or, Jesus is cool, but church is a waste of time. In other words... What many people want today, what many people are looking for is churchless Christianity. They want the head without the body. But what verse 23 tells us is that Christ is inseparably linked to His church. You cannot say you love Christ and hate His own body. 
If you love Jesus, you will also love what Jesus loves and be committed to what Jesus is committed to. There is an inseparable union between Christ and the church. The church is described as the body of the Savior. Do you see how important the church is to God? You see how important the church is? That he has made the church the very body of the glorious Son of God. The Father has raised Jesus from the dead, and he has put him as supreme over all things and put everything under his feet. And the Father has revealed his love for the church by giving Christ to us as our head. And so let us be amazed, friends, that we get to be a part of the very body of Christ. This is a privilege. This is a privilege that we have not earned and we do not deserve. This is a privilege purchased for us by the precious blood of Christ. And so let us always look to Christ as our supreme head. Let us order everything we do around Him and His purposes. He is our head. We are His body. What a what a grace, what a privilege that we ought to rejoice in this morning. Well, the second description or metaphor of the church here in verse 23 is that the church is described as Christ's fullness. The church is Christ's body, and it's also the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, there's some debate about how to translate these final phrases of verse 23. And I'm going to try to stay above the debate here and just meditate on what this might mean and how this description of the church reveals really its significance in the plan and purpose of God. So just look at it again. Verse 22 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And then verse 23 describes the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So it's clear that Christ is the one referred to in verse 23. He is the one who fills all all in all. Or you could translate this final phrase like this, Christ is filling for or with himself all in all. He fills all in all with himself. The Father has placed Christ as head over all in order that Christ might fill all for his own glory or for himself. But what does it mean when it says that Christ or that the church is the fullness of Christ. Christ is the one who fills all in all, and the church is described as the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What does that mean? Well, I think this description of the church is getting at the question, how does Jesus fill all in all? How does Jesus fill all with Himself? His aim is to fill the universe with His glory. That's what I think it means by he, He's filling all with Himself. He's, his, his aim in the universe is to fill the universe with His glory. And so how does He intend to do that? How does He intend to show forth His perfections in this world? And the answer, I believe, from verse 23 is that He fills all in all through His church. The church is His fullness with which He spreads Himself to all of creation. The church, in other words, is God's plan to display the glory of Christ throughout creation. Here's how John Piper 
summarized this truth from Ephesians 1.23 in his sermon on this text. He says, quote, God aims to fill the universe with the glory of His Son, Jesus. Now, let's just stop right there. That's something that we see all through the Scripture. That God's aim, His purpose, His greatest desire is to fill the universe with His perfections displayed in His Son, in Jesus. Everything exists for the glory of God. To display His majesty in creation. But how does He do that? And this is where Piper goes on. God's aim is to fill the universe with the glory of His Son, Jesus, by making the church the showcase of His perfections. By making the church the display case, the reflection, if you will, of His own perfections. Now this interpretation of this phrase in verse 23, I think is confirmed and made clearer when we look at how Paul continues to describe the church in the book of Ephesians. So for example, let me just give you one other example. Look over to Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 10 and 11. Now, in Ephesians 3, Paul is describing why he has been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel. In verse 8 of chapter 3, he says it was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In verse 9, he says it was to bring to light what was the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And then look at verse 10, Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God is displaying His wisdom through the church. The church is the vehicle, if you will, that God is using to fill even the spiritual realm with His wisdom. The church is not an afterthought to God's plan. It is not plan B. This has been the plan of God from the beginning to display the glory of Christ through the church. Here's how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones described this concept. He said, quote, The church is a kind of prism that is placed in the path of the light to break up the whiteness into the colors of the spectrum. What a conception of the Christian church. Without this, the angels could see light, they could see wisdom in general, but not amazing variety. It is through the church as a medium that the angels have received this new conception of the transcendent glory of the wisdom of God. What we have to grasp and realize, therefore, is that the Christian church to which you and I belong is the most astonishing phenomenon the world has ever seen. The Christian church is more wonderful than anything we see in nature. The apostle is asserting that what is happening in the church is so stupendous, so glorious, that even the bright angelic beings who have spent their entire existence in the presence of God, even they are staggered and amazed at what they see in and through the church. End quote. The church is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. This is a majestic description of the church here in verse 23 of chapter 1. This description of the church should make us marvel that we are part of something far more important than we often realize. 
Oh, how many of us have gone through the motions of church for years and years and years, not realizing how important this is to God and to God's purposes. You see, friends, to the watching world, we look pretty insignificant this morning. It's quite humorous to think about it. No one is clamoring outside this building, concerned that they're missing anything important this morning. Nobody's at home wringing their hands, wishing they would have been invited to this special, important gathering. There are no news crews in the parking lot waiting to interview us about how significant and important this gathering is. We are not large in numbers this morning. We are not full of rich or famous people. By worldly standards, we are nobodies. But... We have been gathered by a gracious God who has redeemed us from our sins. We have been given Christ as our head and we have been given the most important mission in the history of the world. We are designed, we are created to reflect the glory of our head. We exist to spread the value of our Savior. You see, to this world, we're nothing. We're nobodies. But to God, we have the most important task imaginable. We are part of His eternal plan to fill all of creation with the immeasurable greatness of Jesus the Christ. It is right here, friends. It is right here in the church being the church that God fills Rocky Mountain, Wilson, and North Carolina, and all of creation with Himself. It is when we love one another. It is when we show hospitality to strangers. It is when we submit ourselves to the Scriptures. It is when we sing praises with joy. It is when we give sacrificially of our money and all the other things that we've been commanded to do as a church. It is when we do those things that Christ fills all of creation with Himself. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is meant to fully reflect the glory of her head. The church is Christ's body and His fullness through which He fills all in all. So let me close with one implication of these things and one word of application. Here's the implication. If these things are true, then the mission and purpose of the church cannot and will not fail. The church is far too important to God and far too dear to his heart for him to allow the purpose of the church to go unrealized. The very glory of the Savior is at stake in the endurance of the church. Nothing can thwart God's plan for his church. He will leverage all his omnipotence and defense of the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus made a promise that is as sure as He is sovereign when He said, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The mission and the purpose of the church is indestructible. Now, again, I'm fully aware these promises refer to the universal church primarily. However, insofar as our local church is faithful to Christ as our head, faithful to display Christ to this world, we can claim these promises as our own. We are part of something that will certainly be accomplished. 
How many other things have you done or started in on or given your life to that you could say you're certain this will last? You're certain this will not fail? We are part of a mission that cannot fail. All the companies and institutions of this world will fail. Microsoft will fail. Apple will fail. America itself will one day be destroyed and overthrown. No other organization, our institution, our country, our nation is promised tomorrow. Only the church is promised to endure to the end. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of something that will last. I want to give my life to something that will never, ever fail. That's the implication. And now, finally, one word of application. This is really just blatantly obvious application of these truths. If these things are true, if the church is this important to God, if He loves the church like we see here in Ephesians chapter 1, then we should be passionately committed to our individual local church. If the church is the body of Christ, and if the church is designed to display the glory of Christ, then we as followers of Christ should give our lives in service to our individual local church. We must love what God loves, and we must value what God values. We must prioritize the local church in our time, in our resources, and in our affections. So let me just end with a short list of very practical ways that we can grow in our commitment to the local church. First, if you, if you haven't already, join a Christ-centered local church. If you haven't already, make a formal, visible, definitive commitment to a healthy local church. If you've been coming to this church If you haven't yet joined this church, I would commend this church to you. Make a commitment, a formal, definitive commitment to say, I am part of this church. I am supportive of this church's mission. I am am going to plant my life here and love these people and care for this church. It's not enough just to come and say, I was there. Make a commitment, a definitive commitment to a local church. Secondly, make attendance at church a non-negotiable in your schedule. Now, I'm not meaning to set up any sort of legalistic standard here that you can't ever miss a service of the church. That's certainly not what I'm intending to say. I'm simply saying make it a priority in your schedule. Clear out other things in order to be at church, to be part of the body of Christ. Next, serve in the church. Don't wait to be asked. Use your God-given gifts to build up the body. Look for ways in which you can improve and serve and help mature and grow this church serve and serve regularly and sacrificially next give sacrificially to the church give jesus said where your treasure is there your heart will be also your heart follows where you put your money and so if you want to grow in your commitment to god's church give sacrificially next build relationships with people in the church So this is something we can all do. No matter where we are on the maturity spectrum in our Christian life, we can all begin getting to know people better. The church is not a building. It's not a meeting. The church is God's people. And so show hospitality to one another. Invite others into your life. Spend time reading the Bible with others in the church. Build relationships. It takes a long time. And then finally, pray daily 
for the members, leadership, and witness of your church. Pray daily for your church and its mission and its purpose and its fruitfulness in this community. Friends, you've got one life. You've got one life. Are you going to spend it doing what you think is important or what the culture thinks is important? Are you going to give yourself to what God says is important? God loves the church. She is central to His purpose for this world, and she is the only hope of this world ever coming to see the glory of Christ in the gospel. And so may our glorious head, Jesus Christ, get the honor and praise and worship that He deserves from His church this morning as we submit ourselves wholeheartedly to Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your power revealed in the fact that You have given Your Son, Jesus, to Your church. We pray that You would increase our love for and commitment to our individual local churches. That we would plant our lives and enfold all of who we are into Your purposes through the church. Oh God, I pray for those here who have a lackadaisical commitment to your body. I pray that you would convict them of what they could do, how they could increase their commitment even today. I pray for those who are looking for a church, for those who are searching for a place to plant their lives. I pray that you would show them where they should plant themselves and that you would give them just great favor and blessing they commit themselves to the church you desire for them. God, I thank you for this church, from Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church. Thank you for the witness of this church to this community. Thank you for the way that this church displays the glory of Christ in this world. And I pray that you would give an increasing and special measure of your grace to them in the days to come, that they would see the fruit of their labor, that they would see you honored and glorified as people are added to their number week by week. Oh God, be glorified in us. And if there's anyone here who has never trusted you, who has never repented of their sins and believed in Christ, would you now convict them of their sin, draw them to yourself, cause them to trust in Christ and in Christ alone. We thank you for our Savior, his glory, his majesty. Help us to love him, to worship him, and to serve him joyfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.